Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. everybody. You can tell the pollen has hit me yet again. Um, I want to welcome you to the show. And first, I want to also thank Ken Quiethawk for his amazing intro. Somehow his voice just seems to send chills up and down my spine every time I hear it. So please check him out. He is a native storyteller, and he's got amazing um, CDs out there with stories on them that will enlighten you and enlighten your hearts as well. So check it out. I have Linda Schiller with me tonight, and she's written a fascinating book called PTS Dreams, Transform Your Nightmares from Trauma Through Healing Dream Work. Um, It's an amazing book and and definitely one worth looking at and and, uh, diagnosing yourself through, actually. Nightmares, especially those created by trauma, not only disrupt your sleep, but can leave you exhausted and on edge, haunting your daylight hours. With in-depth information on the nature of nightmares, international speaker, author, and psychotherapist, Linda Schiller shows you how to turn anxiety-filled or heart-pounding dreams into resources for spiritual growth. Her four decades of experience in both dream work and trauma and trauma treatment provide the reader with guidelines for turning PTS dreams into PTSG, post-traumatic spiritual growth a favorite of mine. Well, spiritual growth is good either, even if it's not traumatic. Um, Armed with effective techniques, Linda's warm, compassionate voice, you can learn to safely heal post-traumatic nightmares with their root causes. She teaches the guided active imagination approach, a method she developed based on on best practice trauma treatment and Jungian active imagination principles. Through compelling case descriptions and thoughtful exercises, you learn how to apply a multiplicity of integrated and embodied dream work techniques, as well as semantic 
narrative and psycho-spiritual approaches. And trust me, the book is easier than this. Combining neuroscience, healing, mysticism, and creativity, PTS Dreams helps you to transform nightmares into a new story, one of hope, healing, and life-affirming images. Linda is a mind, body, and spiritual psychotherapist, consultant, author, and international teacher. She facilitates group dream circles, provides individual group and corporate consultation, and trains professionals on working with dreams. She's designed several innovative methods for dream work and is trained in numerous mind-body methods, such as EMDR, EFT, energy psychology, Enneagram, and integrated trauma treatments. In addition to her professional work with dreams, she's been involved with her own dream-sharing group for more than 30 years. So she's a dreamer, and she's, she's found a way to help have dreams help you to find wholeness and clarity and, and guide you on your spiritual pathway. Not a bad job to have. Welcome to the show, Linda. Thank you, Barbara. <laughs> Thank you. I, I thought my tongue was going to twist out of my head on that one. Um, yeah, that, was a, that was the professional description of the book, and um, I'm glad you said that it is user-friendly and, and written in, in language that, you know, we can all wrap our tongues around. <laughs> well, yeah, and, you know, the, I, the thing, I was, I was kind of sitting with this material uh, for a while this evening, and aside from trauma and bad food, is there anything else that causes nightmares? Oh, sure. That's a really good way to start. Um, let me just—I'll back up on the question and say that the difference between a dream and a bad dream and a nightmare is the emotion that goes along with the with the dream story. So, you can have a dream, and if your emotional story that goes along with the the dream is pleasant, fun, enjoyable, then you have a nice dream. If you're a little worried or a little upset or a little anxious after the dream, it's probably a bad dream, but you get up, you carry on with your day, and you kind of shake it off, and it doesn't really affect your life that much. A nightmare, though, will be a dream where you have a lot of pretty intense negative feelings, often anxiety, fear, terror, um, also could be anger, intense grief. And these kind of emotions can really sort of haunt us during the day and we're not able to shake them off. And or they could be repetitive and you'd be dreaming either the same story or the same emotions over and over and over again. So I started out differentiating those three things to answer your question because in addition to you eat some bad food or you have a traumatic event in your life, nightmares can also be caused by various medications that you might take, a reaction to a medication. It could be caused by various recreational substances that you might uh, take. You know, we've all sort of heard the phrase like someone had a bad trip, so that yeah. could cause a nightmare. And nightmares also can be developmentally what we call normative. And that means there's a period of time in our life, often for children, 
but also when we're undergoing big transitions in our life, when it's really common for our unconscious to show us the anxiety associated with these transitions, even if it's not a big trauma. Um, so with kids, though, who are, are little people, right, everything in the world and everyone in the world is bigger than them, and they feel like they have no control in life because they don't. It's a general rule. Yeah. Other people are making decisions for them. So there's a period of time between, you know, four or five and like 10-ish, 10 or 11, that latency age, where lots of kids talk about, you know, the monsters in the closet or under the bed and the scary dreams they had. And there's not necessarily traumatic events going on either in their personal lives or that they're being affected by, but it's part of this developmental stage where they don't have power and control and they don't have self-efficacy. So the nightmares kind of reflect that in their life. I've often thought that that nightmares um from whatever cause were 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 my con- were, were my higher consciousness saying you need to learn something here pay attention and exactly. once you know it draws your attention to it i mean a, a pleasant dream is a pleasant dream and you know you wake up and that was a nice dream what was it about jesus i don't know but i feel really good so mm-hmm. In, in in that dream state when you're in theta or, or REM or whatever, um, if your consciousness is trying to make a point, it's it's probably not going to get through to you as strongly with a with a with a, a lovely, you know, a la la dream, but, but one that, that wakes you up and says, Whoa, what was that? If you if you take the time to look at it, it's kind of like, Okay, there was a message here, what the heck was it? Right, absolutely, and and those intense nightmares. Sometimes I say that nightmares are like an SOS from our unconscious yeah. selves, saying there's something, there's some kind of unfinished business. There's something you don't yet know fully enough, and there's something you have to do in your life that you haven't done. Something reparative. It could be symbolic. It could be make amends, make peace. It could be with an individual who's either still alive or, or passed over for that matter. And if you haven't done whatever it is your unconscious wants you to do, it will get more and more insistent and keep knocking on the door of your of your waking self from your sleeping self to say, wake up to this, exactly what you're saying. Wake up, there's something here you need to know and do. Now, does does everyone have on some level, post-traumatic stress. And, and, you know, I'm looking at, at friends and people I know, and just about, of course, you know, when, whatever I read a book, I immediately diagnose everyone I know with whatever it is it's talking about. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, I can, I can get post-traumatic stress post-traumatic stress doing my bills, you know. So let me differentiate here between stress, trauma, and PTSD. They're three different things. Can we live a life without some stress? No, I don't think so. 
um, like in Buddhist philosophy, they say, you know, in this life, pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. So we all have some pain in our life, be it a little stress like, oh, my God, I've got a pile of bills on my desk. I really don't want to do this, but I have to. That's stressful. But unless you don't have enough money in the bank to pay your bills, it's not traumatic. Yeah. Right? So then let's just keep to your example, right? If at this moment in time you're sitting at your desk, you have to pay your bills, and you don't have enough money in the bank, but you know you can get a bank loan or you've got a friend or a relative who can lend you the money to cover, it's a little traumatic because you're thinking, oh, no, you know, what's going on? You know, I had a, you know, a a low turn in my business or I couldn't make ends meet this month. But if it's not a chronic condition and you're pretty confident you're going to be able to just get over this hump, right? I'm just going to get over the hump and then I'll be okay. It's a little trauma. But it's not post-traumatic stress, right? So PTSD, there's also that D, right? D stands for disorder. So for people to develop actually PTSD, they have to have had some kind of fairly intense, often chronic, ongoing traumatic events either in their personal or the, their family or the, the global life that they haven't been able to metabolize, they haven't been able to get help with, and they're carrying it in their body-mind system for more than six months. We don't get a diagnosis of a disorder until we've had it for a long time. So maybe that helps differentiate that a little bit. Yeah, I think at least half my friends have it then. Um, That's okay. My (laughs) friends are used to getting diagnosed, you know. Aww. Most of them grow out of it within a week or so. Um, so, so when you're when you're dealing with, you know, you think I think initially um, post traumatic stress, you know, uh, veterans of, of wars and, and con- concentration camps and stuff like that. Th- those memories, I can see how they would haunt you. Um, that right. that makes perfect sense to me. Absolutely. So, so when you're dealing with this, I notice that. You you stress um, keeping a journal, which is something I stress for everyone, and mm-hmm. and uh, you know of the nightmares because then you can go back and analyze and, and stretch and 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 take it apart so that there's an intellectual understanding. When does the when does the intellectual when do the intellectual and emotional aspects of this begin to blend together? Because I know post-traumatic stress is is mostly, you know, an emotional thing. And when you start to analyze it intellectually, you can understand that you have this condition. But when does the emotional coping mechanism come in? I think I understand your question. Um, let me answer it in two ways. Absolutely large-scale events such as Viet Vets or Vets of any war um, being in, imprisoned or, or tortured or murdered, obviously, in a concentration camp or in the killing fields or in a variety of different sort of horrific uh, circumstances that people do to each other certainly can cause PTSD. Um, also, PTSD can happen when 
there's two sort of kinds of trauma. There's public trauma and private trauma. And the first two you mentioned are, are public events. I mean, nobody is questioning if the, if the person was in Vietnam. And if a survivor has numbers tattooed on their arm, hopefully nobody is questioning that they have experienced concentration camp life. Trauma that happens in the home, however, is in secret and it's private. These are things like childhood abuse, um, physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, growing up in um, neglectful families, growing up in substance abusing families. And here, sometimes from the outside, it looks really good and, and you, can't, you can't tell by looking. So there's an added layer there of the secrecy that's like adding insult to injury with, with these kinds of private traumas. Your question is, once you have an intellect, I think, tell me if this is right, once you have an intellectual understanding of, oh, I'm struggling with these various symptoms of anxiety or panic disorder or um, phobias or whatever it is, because it's connected to X, how do we then reduce the emotional upset on it? Is that the question? Uh-huh. Yeah, no, okay. I, I just, it, it's sort of like, I can intele- I can intellectualize something, but to yeah. incorporate it into myself and emotionally deal with it on an emotional level is very right. different from intellectually yeah. understanding it. You're absolutely 100% right. And this is why in psychotherapy and particularly in the field of trauma treatment, we have learned more and more that just talk therapy is insufficient and just cognitive understanding is insufficient to actually make the emotional physiological changes we need to not be haunted or troubled by it anymore. So um, Bethel van der Kolk famously um, wrote a book called The Body Keeps the Score. So we know that our bodies hold traumatic memories and we have feelings in our body and they're called feelings because we feel them. So we have to be working both with the somatic or body-based expressions of the emotional upset with a whole variety of different ways of doing um, body-oriented work, both in trauma treatment and in dream work, as well as working with transforming those emotions through a variety of techniques, which in trauma treatment would include things like EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, which is sort of like the gold standard, but a lot of other ways as well. The idea is to be able to get to a place where in the present your emotions are calm or neutral when you think about the upsetting event, right? So rather, uh-huh. so to be able to say, well, I remember that this happened and what's for dinner is very different than saying, I remember this happened and, oh, my God, I'm in fear that it's going to happen again at any moment when you're not living in the situation yeah. any longer. So DreamWorks is really, really powerful because in our waking, walking around conscious mind, there's past, present, and future, right? We have linear time. But right. in our unconscious, which includes dreams, it's always now. There's no linearity. It's, there's a like circular um, 
spiral of time so we can use the dream work of whatever came through the memories of the events and our emotional reactions to the event. Because when we dream it, it's now. We don't dream, oh, that happened yesterday, or oh, that's happening tomorrow. When we're dreaming, it's happening right now. So we can use that nonlinear time to make changes in the story and therefore in our emotional response, which then carries over into our waking life. It's, it, it was fascinating to me that a lot of people dealt with traumas that, I mean, and you're dealing with grown-ups here. <laughs> you, yeah, you know, I work with children too. I work with kids and teens as well. Yeah, but but with with a lot of your examples, they were with adults, and and Correct. some of their traumas came from when they were very very young. So, have they been suffering from these PTSD dreams all of their life, or did something trigger it to cause them to have these dreams? 20, 30 years after the fact? Mm. Some of them have been having some variety of nightmares all their life, and others uh-huh. have a period of time where they're not, where they, they get out of whatever situation they were in that was traumatic. They go on to live their life. They get out of the house. They go to college. They get married, have kids, have a, you know, get, you know, get a profession, and then exactly what you said, something will trigger the the memories of the upsetting events to resurface again. And sometimes they resurface first through the dreams um, and sometimes in, in waking life um, memories that suddenly come back. One, one example that's, that's not uncommon is when someone has children if they themselves, if the parent was abused in some way or traumatized as a child, when their child reaches the age where their trauma and abuse started, that will often be uh, one example of a trigger for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one of the one of the things that I just loved about your work is your your guided active imagination approach, and you know if if anybody has a you know, an imagination, I mean, they can make such changes in your, their life. It's just, it's amazing. So having, you know, in, integrating that aspect into your analyzation and your treatment, um, to me, brought my side of the, the, the cake into the, into the whole mix because, of course, imagination has to do with a higher consciousness and the power that we have inside of us and, and you know, it, it it incorporates so much more of the mystical into a cut and dried um, type of practice as well. Yeah. So, I, you know, it just that to me was, you know, I, I sat back and I said, oh, now you're talking. Now I can, you know, <laughs> now I could really get, <laughs> now I can get into oh, this. Good. This makes sense to me. Um, yeah. It, it just, it, I, I think that imagination is such a fabulous tool and, so often it is not developed or, or even nurtured in children and for, for a multitude of reasons. But mm-hmm. when, when adult, you know, with adults, given the knowledge that you can reprogram something, you, you, you can mm-hmm. reprogram a computer, you can reprogram your dream state, you can change something in, in that way. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I, I found that fascinating. And 
the journaling the, the the journaling that you have them do i think is fabulous because um so many people you know i get up i go to the bathroom and i have forgotten my dreams <laughs> you know if they weren't notable right um right so most, most people do <laughs> And, and it's hard to say, no, no, write it down first. And nope, that's not going to work. So, um, or you can have your journal in the bathroom, you know, so that you, know, you can take care of two I things at once. I have to take my journal with me into the bathroom. Um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because what you're saying, um, Barbara, is so true because our dreams, you know, we're in that dream state. And then we, there's a brief period of time just as we're falling asleep at night called the hypnopompic zone and just as we're waking up called the hypnagogic zone where we're sort of half in and half out of awake and asleep. And during that state, we still have pretty full access to our dreams. But once we get up and start moving around, poof, it's like mist or smoke, it's just gone. So yeah. that's why I encourage people as much as possible to try to write something down before they get up because um, you'll have the best chance of remembering. And, and, and once you've journaled your dream and written it down, then it's on the paper, and then you can go back at a later time having captured it um, and work with it with, on your own or with other people. Um, it, one of my favorite tricks, though, for those of us who you know have small bladders or the baby's crying or whatever it is and we just have to jump up for some reason is if you can find one word or cue or image from the dream and either quickly jot it down or else just hold it in your mind, right? Uh-huh. Um, I had a dream that I talked with my, my friend about today, actually, where one of the main um, images was beets, like the vegetable, a beet. And, uh-huh. and that's what I held in my mind, like this odd image. And then... I got up, I went to the bathroom, I came back, and then I wrote the whole thing down. Um, if you can't do that, if you can't remember, my other favorite way is what's called um, positional memory. So go back into bed and lay down, and I, and I talk about this in the book as well, put your body back in the same position that you were in when you had the dream. And very, very often, your body will remember the dream when it's back in the same sleeping position. It, it never fails to amaze me when, when this happens, but it does all the time. I, I have found that dreams are like, like little mists. And what, what I do, I have my cell phone by my bed charging every morning. And mm-hmm. what I do is I open it to my shopping list because I, that records and if if i if i pick up my cell phone and i press the shopping list and i and i say okay i see this and this and this and and this is what i'm seeing and i'm on the way to the bathroom with this and it's almost like you last through the end of the dream and you can pull it back in yeah that's great as, as, that's great you know, in, in this era of technology that that can be uh, certainly uh, an assist as well it, it is until you get to the grocery store, and then you wonder the heck, what the was I talking about here? <laughs> right. In, in my case, I would buy beets, but we don't always have that. It's just the most hard to read. Well, it, the, it's the just, other thing. Go ahead. 
So I was, I was just going to say the other thing that you mentioned, because you, you wove a few things into your last comment, um, is well, a couple things. One is when you're ready, we can talk about the Gaia method, the guided active imagination approach. But one of the hallmarks of that approach, plus my whole orientation, is to work with the spiritual side and find uh-huh. resources that are larger than ourselves to be able to draw into our dream work and then into our lives. And that's one of the things in step one of the Gaia approach of the guided active imagination, that when we do our search for resources to help us before we tackle the upsetting events in the dream, I always invite people to see if there are spiritual resources that they can tap into as well, regardless of what their, their religious um, practice is or isn't. Most people can find something if they call it the source or the universe or the light, even if they're not talking about God or a religious figure or angels, um, something that's a larger power that holds us, that helps us feel not alone as we go through this work. Well, one of the things I found fascinating with was, you know, that, that someone comes to you that has a traumatic dream and and you have them trying to write it down and everything, and the, you ask, you know, are you ready to talk about it now, or do you want to wait a while? And if they want to wait a while, you talk about other things. So you, you, you let them become comfortable, but you do it level by level. It's, it's like you're peeling an onion, and it's, you That's know, great th- what are, what are things great that comfort that, <laughs> Well, it's what you do. Um, and And... It's, it's you ask them about people that might be supportive, things that might be supportive. You create a space that is full of comfort and oh. and allow them to stand back and look at the dream and, and start to understand parts of it. And, and as you dig, you know, they, they have all of this support system that, that you've already got around them so that it's mm-hmm. not as, as scary. And... Um, you have them name the dream too, which I think is fascinating. Oh yeah, yeah. We, we sometimes if we if we name it or title it or give the dream a title, um, that's like the reader's digest version that captures the essence of the dream in yeah. a couple words. And it sometimes helps us like kind of cut to the chase of what's what's the core here because we don't have infinite time when we're working on dreams. Mm-hmm. If I'm seeing someone for an hour, if I'm in my with my dream circles and we're sharing amongst, you know, four, six people, you know, two hours, we want to be able to be as efficient as, as possible. Um, well, but what, yeah, it's what, I, what, what I saw was it's by naming it, it's like you name a book and you can close the book cover and put it aside. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, if you want to open it again or retitle it, then you have a new book. That's right. That's right. There's a, a um, mind-body um, psychologist named Daniel Siegel who, I'm blanking on the name of his book right now, but the, the quote that he says is, we name it to tame it. And I yeah. love that little quote because it's, it's really true. Once we can name something, which also includes titling a dream, then we've got a little bit of um, efficacy and a little bit of control that we didn't have before we put a name to it. 
Absolutely. And, you know, some some of these people have been through a lot of stuff. I mean, they're dealing with a lot of amazing stuff. And and you you make the process comfortable. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily mm-hmm. pleasurable, but comfortable. <laughs> yeah. That's the, the key for doing this work is safety first, right? It's We, we want to make sure that people have a felt sense of being safe and comfortable and that they feel accompanied because most of the time when people go through traumatic events, they either are or feel very much alone and no one is helping them And because if they were, they might have been able to help them not experience the traumatic events. So, so this time when we review in the dream or in waking life, if we're talking about things, one of the, the two guidelines are let's make sure that you feel safe here in this place in this time and that you don't have to do this by yourself this time. This time you have company uh-huh. to go with you on the journey. Well, yeah, and, you know, you, you keep them outside of the dream until they appear to be a lot more comfortable, and then you put them into the dream and right. allow them to, to modify it. And that, that's, that's what I think is so precious, that, you know, they can, they can change it. They have control. I think your, your method, what it does is it helps people understand that they have the power and the control to shift things around right. so that nothing is frightening. Right. Right. And Ultimately. The, two, Ultimately. the two steps, there's sort of three steps. There's two steps on the bridge in this method. And the first step is, is take it slow and gather safety. Because sometimes when someone comes to a friend or a family member or a therapist with a dream, the, the guide or the person listening gets so excited they want to, like, jump right in. And that's fine if it's a pleasant, fun dream. But if it's a uh-huh. nightmare with lots of intense feelings, we have to kind of hold back and let the person go at their own pace. Um, we say we only go as fast as the slowest part of you is comfortable going. So well, I think also first... the... Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, so, so that's why sometimes someone will say, oh, I've had a dream, and then I'll ask, would you like to share it? Because they might just want to tell me they had a dream. But if they want to uh-huh. share it, I'll, then they do. And then I'll say, do you want to work on this dream? I don't want to, I want to respect their pacing and their boundaries so that they feel safe all along the way. So that when we get to the point where we're dealing with the scary monster or the lurking man or the tidal wave or whatever was in the nightmare, they've got a posse of, of resources and objects and spiritual beings and whatever they need to be able to then, as you were saying, go inside the dream with resources and change it around and make some difference. I think one of the other things that, that I, have, I find fascinating with dreams especially is that the, the higher consciousness never gives you something that is flat-out absolute. There's symbology all over the place. And mm-hmm. your, method, your method allows people to... to to recognize the symbology that is there and and get 
the meaning behind what has triggered the fear. I mean, it got your dream state got the attention, but what is the real purpose? And that purpose is in the, the symbology that goes into the visual that you're getting. And mm-hmm. and I think you know that that to me is amazing that you you get people to the place where they can see something represents something else that isn't necessarily literal. Right, right. And it's interesting because that's another sort of method I've designed um, called the Pardes method that looks at, you know, ever-deepening layers of inquiry in a dream and attends to there could be many layers of truth. It's not either or. It's all simultaneously true. So there's one layer where there's, some things that happened to you yesterday. It's like, oh, yeah, I kind of remember, you know, I was talking about going to India with a friend and, you know, going on to an ashram, and that's why I had this dream about eating Indian food, I mean, just for example. Um, so uh-huh. there's a layer, it's like the hint of that layer that's associative, and then there's the layer, as you were talking about, about things that are symbolic, where it's a metaphor or a symbol, and it, it stands for something else. And everyone has their own personal uh, repertoire, if you will, of images and symbols because if I dream of a dog and you dream of a dog, it doesn't necessarily mean the same thing. depends on my relationship with dogs and your relationship with dogs. So that's where Uh we go back and we double-check. Okay, what's the emotional story going along with us meeting the dog on the street? You know, if, if you... Um, crouch down and you pet the dog and you say, oh, aren't you cute? What a sweet dog. That's a different dream than if I see a dog on the street and I go, oh, my God, I'm going to get bit. I better get out of here. (laughs) Same dog, same street, two different dreams completely. Yeah. Well, I think, too, um, having a dream journal is important if if you're going to be a dream worker for sure because as you grow and and learn and and evolve you can go back to old dreams and see greater details in them than you saw initially when you thought you had it worked out perfectly exactly right you can go back and see other layers of meaning other connections other associations and you can go back and see themes and patterns over time and uh-huh. that's one of the things that makes journaling so powerful you can go back and say wow you know as I reread these dreams I see that this theme keeps showing up over and over and over again so when we see something doubling or repeating that's a real sign that our unconscious is trying to say wake up we're trying to tell you something (laughs) (laughs) kind of like a telegram would be easier (laughs) yeah, send me a telegram for heaven's sakes. Um, it just it it's I think what what fascinates me with with how people's perception of their dreams when they have worked on them and there is e- either you or a group giving interpretations that they they begin to see other levels of it as well. Which you know I would think a dream circle is a perfect way to go. Um, assuming people can remember their dreams. But right. is it now obviously a trauma dream is going to have 
is going to be there for a singular, a, a singular purpose. Are people who have trauma dreams inclined to have more than one trauma dream? Um, I found with anxiety, once someone has actually had an anxiety attack, they are more anxiety attacks are more prevalent in them because they've sort of opened that channel. So do people, is, does trauma kind of run like a thread through somebody's life where, where they have several trauma dreams or, or is it just, you know, does it necessarily mean it's just one and that's it and, and the rest of the dreams are just good or bad dreams? Well, if it's something that someone that had a profound effect on a person, if it's something that they haven't yet metabolized, meaning they haven't yet sort of come to terms with digested the trauma in such a way that they're no longer affected by it, they're going to have chronic or ongoing nightmares. If it was a small thing that was like upsetting, um, ouch, I, I, I bumped into the corner of the table and that really hurt and I got a big bruise and then I dream uh, about, you know, getting banged or, or, or bruised or something and I have that dream a few nights, then it's going to go away because that was not a big drama. That was a, a tiny little upset, um, you know, in the scheme of things, in the scheme of life. Um, but when someone has this chronic nightmare, that's when I go back and say, okay, what is not yet fully healed what is not yet fully resolved what is the unfinished business that you need to address um so that you can heal and so that you can stop having the nightmares because that's the goal at the end of the day we we don't want to keep having nightmares but we have to learn what they're caught they've come to tell us and learn in conjunction with our highest purpose and our soul's mission so that we can then transform that learning into something where we get to heal a first ourselves and then from that place bring that out into the world to help others as well are there people who have <clears throat> who are more prone to trauma like okay so let's let's take a vietnam vet who comes home and things aren't 100%, so he struggles with finding a job, and then there's that trauma. And in other words, do traumas compound, or are they just singular? Because it seems to me that, that people, some, some people who have major a trauma that they're dealing with, their, their lives seem to invent more traumas, maybe not as extreme, but but they are more open to trauma than they have been before they would have been before so emotionally speaking is there a is there a type of personality that is more prone to trauma than others i wouldn't necessarily call it a type of personality but it has to do with what were the traumatic events the person experienced did they or did they not or not get any kind of support, acknowledgement, help around recovering from the traumas? And then there is a compounding effect sometimes if someone didn't get support, wasn't believed, um, or came home to difficult circumstances from whatever the, the trauma was, given if, there, if the trauma didn't happen in the home, for example, um, where we 
we adapt, right, to whatever life uh-huh. is giving us. And we form literally neural pathways in our brain. So if we keep going down the same direction, we, we literally form ne- deeper neural pathways that make us more likely to continue to struggle with various things that are in some way related to our, our coping skills or our adapting skills that we needed, for example, when we had the original trauma. You think about like the fight, flight or freeze response in a traumatic event. Those are, are adaptive and sometimes life-saving. However, if we didn't succeed in avoiding the original trauma and the running away, the fighting back, or the freezing in place didn't work, we're much more likely to try to re- unconsciously repeat these strategies in our life in a way that then disrupts our relationships or our job or our home life because we're still not feeling safe from whatever the initial cause of these responses were. Okay, so what about, <clears throat> are, there, are there traumas that actually aren't ours that we've brought into this lifetime through our DNA? Like, like the Bible says, the sins of the fathers are, are um, mm-hmm. you know, put on the Visited, sons. Is, are there, yeah, are, there are traumas really, that... There, there's, there's a whole body of work that's becoming more and more studied, Barbara, that is called epigenetics, and it, it studies intergenerational transmission of trauma. And what you're saying is exactly correct, is that when people have been through terrible traumas, it can be passed on from generation to generation through a variety of different ways. It's not genetic like the way you pass on blue eyes or, you know, brown hair, but there's a process called methylization where our genetic material, our DNA, is actually um, affected by the traumas, which then gets passed on through our bloodstream, through the placenta and the umbilical cord um, to the, 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 the mom, through the mom carrying the next generation. So that's one way that these intergenerational traumas can be passed on. And another way is if your parents um, grew up, let's say, um, in dire poverty and there was famine and they had to leave Ireland because of the potato famine and came over here and then they brought you up watching out for every penny and and every morsel on your plate, you absorbed that parenting style and those perceptions even if you didn't grow up in a famine yourself. And then when you grow up and have children, if you have children, you pass that same style on, not realizing that it's old news that isn't relevant anymore because that's what you learned in your family. So, yes, the answer is yes, there are intergenerational traumas. And what we're learning more and more is that we can go back and forth in time, and this is where DreamWork comes in, um, to heal these intergenerational traumas. And I'm actually, it's a very timely question because I'm, I'm, I'm actually preparing my course right now. I'm teaching a class 
Um, it's going to be on Zoom. It's through um, Hebrew College here in the Boston area on finding the gifts and healing the traumas of our, um, that were transmitted through our ancestors. And that's actually the course I'm through DreamWorks, through Active DreamWorks. And I'm actually, I've spent yesterday and today, like, working on preparing this course, which is going to get offered um, in October, November. Wow. Well, I, you know, there is, well, what about past lives, too? I mean, yep. I could see how past lives could easily cause a trauma, especially in in the crossing over time frame. Um, right. So, so past lives could be um, through our family line from generation to uh-huh. generation, or they could be lives that we've lived in other bodies that aren't connected to our families that we're still carrying some kind of, of an energetic imprint from these other lives. Uh, one woman that I, I worked with um, had this horrible sensation in her dreams of having something like pressing down on her chest. I remember this. And she felt like in the dream she was thinking like um, there's some kind of great pressure on her and there were stones on her. And in our work together with the dream, she remembered two things. Um, One was a past life where she was stoned (laughs) as a witch Uh living in Salem, you know, in in the previous century. And once she connected, the sense of feeling like there were stones pressing down on her with this past life memory of having been stoned to death for being called a witch in a previous lifetime, she was then able to make the differentiation between then and now and help bring some resources back to that Wiccan woman from three or four lifetimes ago and free both that witch who was killed and herself from the energetic imprint. When when they've... When people have seen... <clears throat> the cause of their trauma in their dream, how do they change it? How do they shift it? I mean, do you, you take them into the dream? And I, I, you said um, one thing in the book that I found fascinating. Just because they woke up in fear doesn't mean that's when the dream ended. It's just where they stopped seeing it. Mm-hmm. So, that, right. so that you... you you send them back in to complete it in a different way. How do you, you know, do you, how do you do that? So there's a lot of different sort of methods and techniques and, and styles of working. So in part A, part one, I help them gather all their resources. And then we do the bridge. So I gather the resources from outside the dream. And then the bridge is, they then I invite them to peek inside the dream and see if there were resources there that they might have missed the first time, that they didn't notice or forgot to mention. It's already there. It's always great to find something that's already part of our consciousness or our unconscious in this case um, that we can access. So once we've done those two things, then we're ready to go inside the dream. And so there's a variety of different things we might do with this active dream work. Um, if they're being chased by a monster, rather than just running away, I might invite them to turn around 
and face the monster and say, have a conversation with the monster. Given that they have their protections first, they'll, they'll put, on uh-huh. their, put up their force field and they'll have their um, guardian angels or whatever it is they need to have the monster can't hurt them. And start to talk to the monster and say, who are you? Why are you chasing me? What do you want from me? And, and it's fascinating what comes through in these conversations. Um, sometimes the monster is there because it's just trying to get their attention and wants to give them a gift of some sort. But because they uh-huh. look so scary, the dreamer just ran. So, so there's one example of like dialoguing with the characters or the objects in your dream. Um, and then the other thing you mentioned is when someone wakes up and they've had a nightmare and they're waking up still with upsetting emotions, I, I might suggest to them, this isn't where your dream ended. This is just where you woke up. So we can work together now to dream the dream forward and I ask simply, and then what happened? And then what happened? And then what happened until we get to a place of calm safety? I, that, Once that's, having, you know, that's, that, that's what I do. You know, if, it, if I wake up and a dream hasn't ended appropriately as far as I was concerned, I will go back, I will go right back into it. And say, you know, let's end this in a in a happier tone, you know. So you've already um, been practicing some of these things just on your own with your own skills and resources. Right. Oh yeah, I mean it's it's you know a nightmare is ridiculous. I know it's meant to teach you something, but let's not scare me. You know, just, let's let's just sit and talk about this. Um, right. There but, was one but, other you know, thing I. I, I Go ahead. Okay. There was just one other thing I, I didn't want to forget because at one point you, you talked about getting help with dream interpretation. And I actually, we don't, in sort of modern dream work, we don't actually use the word interpretation. I know most of the world still does. But in my um, organization, IISD, the International Association for the Study of Dreams, we were taught that we don't interpret other people's dreams. We guide them, perhaps, or we offer suggestions or ideas, but we don't tell them what it means because the ultimate um, meaning of the dream will always rest with the dreamer, him or herself. Uh-huh. So if I have a hit on somebody's dream and I'm thinking, wow, I'm wondering if this, I might say, I'm wondering if, or we would uh-huh. use Jeremy Teller's technique and say, if this were my dream, I might want to pay attention to that bird nest over there in the tree that has the eggs in it that you, you just mentioned, but we don't really talk about yet. I'm, I'm wondering if that's important to you, um, but I'm not going to insist on it, or I'm not going to make an interpretation about what does the nest mean or what do the eggs mean, but I'm going to invite you to see if you would like to go there. Um, so I'm not I'm imposing my ideas on your dream. That's got to be a tough one to learn. <laughs> I mean, I'd want to say, whoa, whoa, hey, did you see this, you know, but um, <clears throat> I was taking somebody through a past life once, and we were working on an issue in the past life she had she had uh, designated that we were going to go into, um, 
several of them we went into, we found what it was she was looking for, and we came out, and we we got into this one, and she was telling me how beautiful it was and how lovely it was. And, you know, I let her go for quite a while, and I said, does this in any way relate to the issue we're working on? She said, no, I just mm. thought we should take a break. <laughs> well, you know, you so you, you were – you asked a really good question because you didn't tell her this does or this doesn't relate to the issue we're working on. You just asked her no. and allowed her yeah. to tell you. And lo and behold, she said, no, I needed a break. That's why I told you this. So, you know, <laughs> that, that she took herself on a nice little break. And maybe she, yes, you she know, did. like you cleanse your path, you cleanse your palate, like between courses. So maybe she just had a cleaner palate. <laughs> <laughs> but but in in working with people, this way your restraint has to be amazing to not want to um jump ahead from time to time well you know how we all have our own particular life lessons that we just have to keep learning over and over again everyone's got you know their thing so my life lesson has been patience like all my life Uh i'm continuing all the time to learn and grow how to be more patient and how to have more restraint. And um, I teach myself and I learn, you know, I've been studying dream work for years. I learn different sort of techniques and styles that allow me to still participate in the dream work without saying, oh, oh, this is what I'm getting. This is what you should do. This is what I think. (laughs) So sometimes I want to, but I have to. I know. um, Swallow that no, sometimes, sort of sit back. <laughs> it it is. I think um, it's it's a lesson all of us need to learn. Um, I was working with somebody once, and I saw antique buttons, and I thought, I said, this is important. I have to tell her I see antique buttons, and you know, I I saw antique buttons, and I told her about it. I said, check it out at you know flea markets and stuff. There's something here important about antique mm-hmm. buttons, and she came back at me maybe two weeks later, and she said, I've haunted flea markets. I've looked at antique buttons all over the place. They do nothing for me. <laughs> and I said, I, but I, I got, I, and, I, and I, I stopped myself, and I said, is it possible there is an older person who is pushing your buttons? And she said, oh. absolutely. <laughs> there you go. So you did the metaphor of that. Yeah. It wasn't literal in this case. You saw the buttons. But in this case Yeah, I saw and, and this is often with dreams, right? It's you oh, can yeah. check out the literal level, but often if there's nothing at the literal level we go straight to the symbolic and metaphorical level. And you did it well, with I think like, it's, play on words. <laughs> I think it's fabulous the way that you get people to more and more um, to explain their dreams more and more deeply, even though initially they didn't seem to get everything, like like the man who was in a boat and not able to get to shore, and and the the deeper you got into it, you know, how would you do this? And you know, you yes, you could swim to shore, but you know, how would you get the boat to shore? And then he suddenly said, "Well, I take the windbreaker and shove it in the hole, and then I would be able to paddle all the way to shore." So, so. You have people discover that they have um, different methodologies inside of them all along that, that can That's help right. them sur- surmount whatever it is they are facing. 
Yeah. You know, you, you, you used one of my favorite analogies just now. My, my previous book called Modern Dreamwork, um, New Tools for Decoding Your Soul's Wisdom, it follows the storyline of The Wizard of Oz as I walk through the, the different um, methods of doing dream work. And one of the methods, or excuse me, one of the, um, the messages is that at the end, when Dorothy is, you know, with Glinda, they've already gone to Oz and they've gone and they've killed the Wicked Witch and they've come back and, and you know, the Scarecrow and the Tin Man and the Lion all got their gifts from Oz and there was nothing in his kit bag for, for Dorothy. So Glinda comes uh-huh. at the end and she says, Dorothy, those ruby slippers, right? You click your heels together three times, say there's no place like home and you'll go home. And the scarecrow says to Glinda, well, why didn't you just tell her that? And she said, and Glinda responds, she had to learn it for herself. It was in yeah. her all along. It was in her all along, but she had to find it. And that's just what you're saying. We have to be able to find that place inside of us all along. Well, and also, you know, we... Traumas are, are great teaching tools. I mean, yes, they they they, ru- they they ruin your sleep from time to time for sure, but but dreams are are, are your higher consciousness talking to you, and if there's yeah. something, if there's something that that you your spirit needs for you to discover for yourself, mm-hmm. um, you know the, the the traumatic dreams certainly are are a stepping off place. But once you've done that. I would bet money that people then are far more observant as to their regular dreams and what their regular dreams are trying to tell them as well. Once you appreciate the power of your dreams, you appreciate the power of your dreams. <laughs> and, yeah. yeah, I think you're right. Once you're not afraid of what's going to come through in the night and you can cultivate an attitude of curiosity and fascination rather than fear, you will probably, if you honor the dreams and want to have them, you will be rewarded with remembering them more and more. Well, also in the t- in these times, I mean, let's face it, the world is in, I, I won't go into politics because, you know, I don't know enough about them to be, you know, to, to speak with authority. But, but humanity as a whole is going through a very difficult time frame. And it seems mm-hmm. to me that, that that every individual has within them the wisdom and the sense of humor to to be able to deal with whatever comes their way and and oftentimes those answers will come come through in the dream state and mm-hmm. and it's a it's a matter of programming yourself to remember your dreams and and then right. to look at them not as literal but as you know there is a, there's a there's a a message here for me for growth. Um, right. Let me see if I can find it. You know? Yeah, and what you're saying about you know what we're living in, you know there's, a, there's an ancient Chinese curse which is may you live in interesting times. And <laughs> man, these times sure are interesting. <laughs> they are definitely um, that. Yeah, and and a lot of us are holding on to the bright 
side of the hope that we're going through this sort of cataclysmic transition and we're going to come out the other side. Um, it reminds me, you know, the story of Pandora's box, you know, with her curiosity, she opens the box and all the horrible things fly out, pestilence and evil and disease and war. And she quickly slams the box shut. And what often doesn't get told in um, the Western telling is the one thing that didn't escape was hope. Uh-huh. So when she opened the box again, the hope was still there. So if we can work with our dreams and do what's called incubating dreams, which, which in, in a nutshell simply means before going to sleep, ask for dreams to help us figure something out, get some answers, do some healing, we can then get a dream that will answer the questions or dilemmas we have. And we can do that, Barbara, for ourselves, and we can do that for the world as well. We can dream for the world's soul and offer the healing to come through us and our fellow dreamers as an offering for healing the world. Um, And in Hebrew, the phrase tikkun olam means repairing the world. And Barack Obama actually used that phrase during his inauguration, that that's what he saw as one of his missions in terms of why he wanted to be president, Uh this tikkun olam, repairing the world. What do you do with people who obviously have um, post-traumatic stress dreams? because they wake up terrified. But they have absolutely no memory at all of dreams of any sort. Mm. Um, A couple of different things. There's a variety of answers, but I I think I actually would like to go and just take a stretch for a minute. Would that be okay with you? Sure, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm just going to go have a quick stretch. (laughs) I'll be right back. Okay. Okay. Happily. This is why it's so nice to be on the radio. You can't see if we're stretching, laying on the floor, walking around, or folding laundry. I am doing none of those, by the way. But the dream state is a very important part of touching into our higher consciousness. And I think so many people don't don't realize that that avenue is there. When when we are asleep, when when we are definitely out like a light, so to speak, our ego basically is is not functional it's not working so that we're able to tap into our higher consciousness to a far greater extent than than we are during this, those moments that we are you know full awake and ego is is there trying to control us so so working with our dream state is a is a place where we can get more in touch with our higher consciousness and um, I, I think it's important for people to, to make that connection, to understand that, that there is great wisdom and knowledge and, and worth and all sorts of creativity stored, and we have access to it through our higher consciousness, and that comes through the dream state. So when we open that channel, we make our life so much richer, so much more mm. powerful, and we have greater control, yeah. too. Okay, so yeah. short stretch. Um Right. <laughs> I heard you say about opening the channel, and I, and I think that's a really good uh, way of, of framing it, you know, because then we can access all this, these resources and information that we 
couldn't necessarily access in our, our waking life. So just I, I, I joke sometimes with my clients and I say, if you if you remember your dreams, it's like free therapy every night. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Only trouble is then you have to interpret it. Right. You have to figure out what the message is. And that, so to go back to what we were talking about before I took my, my metaphorical stretch, this was, for the listeners, this was code that Barbara and I agreed on before. But I don't mind saying, I finished a whole cup of tea and I had to go to the bathroom. But now I did. <laughs> um, so, so wait, what happens when, when the trauma is so great, there is no memory, there are no dreams? How do you get someone to a place where they mm. can open that like you know open that door and allow that that flow of energy to come into them because i know people right. that say i don't dream i never dream and yeah. i know that's not so true because they wouldn't yeah. you know they 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 would be crazy if they well maybe they are but um <laughs> so never thought so of there's that. A, a couple of ways to respond the first is if someone is struggling with intense emotional upset, you know, either in their waking life or their sleeping life. This is not necessarily something like you should try at home by yourself. Um, so the first thing to really think about if you're you yourself or you're, you have a friend or a relative or you're working with someone either with their dreams or with, or with a lot of upsetting feelings is to find out whether or not that person actually should be seeking professional help because we don't want to ignore that this is not something necessarily for everyone to do at home on their own. So there's a discernment there um, between what can I do to help my friend or my family member and when is the time to say, I think you should call a therapist who has experience and expertise in trauma, <laughs> you know, whether or not you're remembering your dreams so that you're, yeah. you're, you're not, you know, stepping outside of the realm of what, you know, what is good for the dreamer or, or the non-dreamer, as you're talking about, if they're not remembering. Um, so I wanted to make sure to, you know, alert all the, the listeners to, you know, to that as well. That's really important. Um, but then to answer the question about people who say they don't dream, what I, what I tell them is that we all dream five to seven dreams every night because we have five to seven REM cycles. The, uh-huh. the real thing is you're just not remembering them. So if we're not waking up at the right spot in our REM cycle, we're less likely to remember our dreams. Um, that's one. Two, if we don't value our dreams and we don't think they're important and don't really care if we remember them or not, then we're less likely to remember them because right? we see what we're looking for. We find what we're paying attention to. So if we want to remember our dreams, for starters, to have an orientation. It's like, oh, yeah, this is important. I'd like to start remembering them. Uh-huh. And then another thing is to be clear what is sort of what counts as a dream, right? So if, if you wake up with one word from your sleep, I'm waking up with the word blue. That's it. That's a dream. And we could spend an hour talking about your dream of blue. If you wake up okay. with an emotion, oh, go ahead. No, I, I was I, I was going to say that you know having having something is is amazing and, and again the onion you know it can get peeled yeah. back to tons of different stuff. Yeah. 
Yeah. What about, you know, we've talked about nightmares and we've talked about PTSD dreams, but what about daydreaming? Because all of us do do daydream. And mm-hmm. do we get worthwhile information there or is that more or less controlled by our imagination? So really good question because we have a number of different states of consciousness like on a continuum that range from completely wide awake focused attention to sound asleep REM dreaming. But in between, there are lots of different in-between states. So what we call daydreaming has a variety of different aspects to it. There's sort of a, like the wool gathering. It's like, oh, I'm sitting in a sort of boring lecture and my mind is kind of wandering and I'm thinking where do I want to go on my summer vacation and we call that daydreaming and it might be pleasant it might be fun but it's it is a little bit of a way of you're taking yourself out of the the, the time and place you're in by thinking about what do you want to do next but that is more of a like a reverie or a planning kind of daydreaming there Mm -hmm. are also kind of daydreams where we sort of um, are out of time and space for a minute and we kind of get jolted back into what we would call our waking reality. For example, the the phrase highway hypnosis, right? That's different than I'm staring out the window when you suddenly kind of realize in the car, shoot, I've passed my exit about 10 minutes ago and I didn't even notice where was I? Who has been driving yeah. this car for the last 10 minutes? So that's a difference than a daydream, right? And then there's the whole layer of, like, deja vu and synchronicity um, where we sort of have one foot, you know, through the portal into more than one world at a time. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm a big fan of synchronicity. Um mm. And and I, I I tell people to get a to get a journal and to write down the synchronicities, the coincidences, and the good recipes. But have your journal there for writing in anything that that you know you feel might have meaning for you at another time and another place. Um, so often something will come into your head and go out, and it will be where did that come from. Mm-hmm. And, you know, later on, you know, either that person will call you or that situation occurs or so that so that your higher consciousness, your spirit is always trying to give you messages. And the more attuned you are to the fact that messages are coming in and write them down. I always say to people, the minute you write it down, you capture it and you cement it in reality. Mm-hmm. Right. And, I and agree. Cement- Cementing it is important because if you don't cement it, then the universe doesn't know you caught it, and it'll just keep you give, keep giving you the itty bitties instead of the big ones. So um, mm-hmm. it's it's uh, it's really important. But but the daydreaming um, is is in many ways as effective as night dreaming. You know, if you if you approach it appropriately. Right, right. If if you're paying attention to when your mind sort of wanders and notice where did it go, what was it like, were there any messages, 
were there any um, sort of seeming coincidences, which is what a, the synchronicity is, is, is sort of unrelated things that somehow seem related and that are because uh-huh. you're noticing them, um, then these are all what I would call waking dream states. Well, you know, that I think I think people with active imaginations, you know, often get things that are as val- valuable during the day as they do at night. And during the day, there 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 is a a greater presence in what's going on that night, or or it feels like there's a greater presence. Maybe it maybe feeling there is a greater presence is better is a better way to put it, because. When you snap out of it, you you usually have a fuller memory of what that that sequence is about, and mm-hmm. and can immediately start working on it. Mm-hmm. And, and, it's and it's, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> um, no, I was going to say it's a lot easier to write it down. You know, it's easier to write it down when it's been during the day than at night. Mm-hmm. Right, that's right. And in both your line of work and in mine, when we are awake and we're getting a message or a hit or a connection with information that's outside of ourselves, we're aware of it when we're awake in a way that we're not Uh immediately aware when we're asleep. Because um, I'm sure, that, well, you talked about you you got a an image or a vision or a a hit on this woman who's got to pay attention to those antique buttons, yeah. and you knew it was important. You, you then you found out it was a symbolic importance. But I will often, when I'm sitting with people, my clients have learned. You know, I'll say, "Hold on a minute, I'm getting something," and one of my clients said, "It's my download." And I'm getting some information from a place that I, I couldn't tell you exactly where it was from, but it'll often be sort of spot on, but it didn't come from necessarily what we were exactly talking about. So there's uh-huh. that. And I, I'm sure you get this kind of thing all the time. Oh, yeah. No, it, it's, 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 it's fun. It's, it's a joy to be able to tap into that that energy and and feel it mm. flow through you and and know that it's that it's through you not of you and um that that I think is is the, the biggest thing if it, if I know it's through me not of me I trust it if right. I question you know it's it's sometimes you, there's a a knowingness that is that accompanies it which is is really quite profound Mm-hmm. What about mm-hmm. what about repetitive dreams? Because they happen frequently, and they don't necessarily come from trauma, but they certainly have a meaning. Mm-hmm. Do so, you interpret them so, in the so, same way? Well, again, I'll, I'll ask the person, you know, if we, we only know if we're having a repetitive dream if we're remembering our dreams, and the yeah. best way to remember is to record them. <coughs> So if someone is having a repetitive dream or a theme or an image or an object keeps showing up in the dream, we'll say, oh, this is important. Let's pay attention to it and let's 
put a little extra time and energy into kind of unpacking it. This is the Jungian term for working with it. When we unpack it and we, we peel the onion as to why do you frequently have a house that's locked in your dreams? I mean, just, I'm just for example, why does that show up uh-huh. over and over again? Or why do you dream about water, right? One day you're dreaming you're at the beach. The next time you have a dream about the waterfall, two weeks later you're, you're in the bathtub. But water, water, water just keeps showing up. But what's, so then we, we use a variety of different methods of um, associative, metaphorical, symbolic ways uh, and somatic to using our, our felt sense in our body to resonate with what might this be about for the dreamer. Uh-huh. So if it's, a, if it's a pleasant dream, then it's just, oh, this is really interesting and what does it mean? And if it's an unpleasant dream or a nightmare, there's more urgency to how do we get this repetitive nightmare to stop because it's really uncomfortable. <laughs> See, you use the big technical words. I basically will say, if it's mine, you know, you you need to be a little more clear or I'm not going to get this message. And mm-hmm. within a day or so, it's cleared up. You know, I, you know, it's kind of like, give me a break. You know? <laughs> it's been a rough and week. And that's perfect. And often, if someone has a repetitive dream that's bothering them, either because they're curious or because it's a nightmare, I will tell them, I say, get a little bossy with your dream muse, right? And say, listen, you got to give it to me clear. No more metaphors here. I want just like, like the, down, the down and dirty here so I really get it. I, I don't have time to waste, or however you want to say it. So I, I will invite people to do that too. Just clear it up. Well, I I don't know if I told you the story, but I often um, for for five years I was a rotating minister in a church, in a spiritualist church, and I always oh. got the inspiration for what I was going to talk about in my dreams. Always came oh, through, lovely. and that that and and it was it was wonderful. And at one point, I it was getting close to Sunday, and I hadn't gotten any inspiration, and as I was going to sleep I said you know you're you're lagging behind here I need inspiration and I woke up suddenly hearing voices and I and I couldn't discern what what it was and you know I as I rolled over I said that wasn't too clear you want to send it again and oh 20 minutes half an hour later I heard the voices again and they still were gobbledygook and and a third time it happened and I finally said for heaven's sakes just give it to me literally so I, you know, I need to have a night's sleep here. So, you know, if you want to wait till morning, fine. But, you know, stop, let's stop playing around. And the fourth time I woke up, I realized that the cat was snoring and that's what I was hearing. Oh, my goodness. And, and so the sermon, the sermon became quite often very strange things are inspiration and you can't overlook the source you have to pay attention that there's meaning here if the words aren't clear then perhaps it means that you're not listening to the people around you enough mm. and oh what and, a great segue you made <laughs> i got my sermon out of it 
But um, oh, you did. Yeah. And so, you know what you did, so, Barbara? You know what you said? I loved it. After the third time, you said, for heaven's sake, tell me. That's exactly yeah. what you wanted, right? Because it was for a sermon. Yeah. You wanted it for heaven's sake. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and the cat has a deviated septum, so, you know, but, but, but it was, oh, he's fine. But, but, but it was, it's kind of like inspiration comes in strange and wonderful places, and it doesn't always have to be, you know, with wings and a halo. It can be a life experience that, that is giving you a message, listen to people more carefully, because sometimes yeah. there's a message and sometimes it's a cat snoring. So, right. um, <laughs> and he right. still snores. But 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 it, it, it's mind. kind of it, it's 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 kind of so important for people number one to you know, and this is my philosophy, it doesn't have to apply to anybody else, but if you have a good sense of humor, this whole process is a lot more fun. Yeah. Yeah. That's absolutely so you asked earlier, like like, how do you know if you're healing from traumatic mm-hmm. events? And being able to claim or reclaim your sense of humor is one of the best hallmarks of that. Because if you can laugh, you can't be anxious. If you're anxious at the exact same moment that you're enjoying a good laugh or enjoying something that's funny. So it's really healing oh, yeah. to be able to have a good sense of humor. <laughs> oh, geez, yeah. And, and especially when you're, when you're dealing with trauma. Um, you know, certainly, certainly you don't laugh at inappropriate moments, though I've been known to. Um, but, but it it feels as though if you are able to see a lighter side, and understand mm-hmm. that that there's a message coming through here, and it's really mm-hmm. important, and and it's crucial that you get at least the first layer of the message to be able to work with it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time. You know, just just understanding that, you know, I don't know who said it, but it was profound because everybody repeats it. You're never given more than you can handle. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. and so so if if there's a a, an experience that you have to remember, know that that when it's open to you, it's you're ready to deal with it. And or you wouldn't or or you wouldn't be having that that aha moment. Right, right. So it's not unusual that when people had difficult past, difficult childhoods, they are not yet ready to really, as you said, deal with it or, or process it because they don't have enough stability and safety in their life. But then later uh-huh. on, when they're older and they have more safety and stability and and wisdom in their life, then they're ready. Then they have the resources and can go back and go back in time and, and do pick up the pieces and do the healing. Well, when, when they use the creative imagery, when they, when they address their fears or, or what it is that is causing the nightmare or, or, or learning how to deal with, with, you know, just the whole situation in a healthier way, um, that, it takes it it's not an overnight you know, cure it's something that takes time to work on right 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 it's not one and done right it's not as you said overnight no no, no pun intended 
Um, yes. It takes time, right? It does take time. Yeah. And then, it's, you know, what we, I, I help people is to appreciate the incremental progress. And so let's, like when you're parenting, right, you want to catch your kid doing something good and give them praise, and they're going to be more apt to repeat that good or, or, or adaptable behavior. So if we're working uh-huh. on healing, we don't want to just look at like, oh, my God, this is a, a field of rubble here. Let's notice the diamonds in the rough as we go along. Let's pick up the jewels. Let's pick out the gifts. Let's look at the pieces of progress you made as we go along, and then they build on themselves. We don't do the whole thing at once, but we keep building, and we can see the progression. I think the, one, of the, one of the nicest examples of that was the woman who kept feeling that her mouth was being filled. Oh, right. Yeah. She, um, for years and years, she would have these dreams that her mouth was full of, like, taffy, and she was, it was stuck, and she would try to pull it out and pull it out, and there'd just be more and more and more, and she would have this dream night after night after night, and we did all kinds of, you know, sort of work with her, um, you know, doing the dream work, and, and we get to know people pretty well, you know, when you're working with them in a dream circle, we get to know each other well. And, you know, she told us about, you know, her, her past. She was a, a quiet, good girl. She was always a good girl growing up, and she didn't speak up. And she lived in a, in a difficult family situation where she had a mom who was mentally, um, mentally ill and got very, very depressed, sort of clinically depressed when she was a teenager. And so for years she kept her mouth shut because she didn't want to rock the boat. She didn't want to upset uh-huh. the apple cart for the family. And then this carried over into her adult life as well. She had trouble speaking up at work. She had trouble sort of defending, you know, um, advocating for herself. Well, at one point in time, her husband began reporting that she was screaming in her sleep. And she was screaming like, F you, to whoever it was that was in her dream. And as we progressed in working with the dream, she realized that not only was her mouth not full of sticky taffy anymore, but she could actually open her mouth and use her voice to express herself and her feelings and advocate for herself. And this was a progression over a couple of years of work together. Yeah, I think that's that's a... Go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I think it's important that people understand that this is, like I said, not a one and done. This is a progress that that goes on for a length of time because you take your time to, to gently go into the experience, to examine it, to to prepare them for addressing whatever the issue is and mm-hmm. And and make them safe and create bubbles and and have them look into the dream and and take part or not. But I I think what fascinates me is is that you you when they do go into the dream, they have the potential for rewriting the whole experience. And once you rewrite it, if the more you repeat it, it it's like a stream. Um, the more often it's repeated, the deeper you go, the more the more deeply you implant 
that scenario into your mind. So basically you're rewiring your brain to not be traumatized by it because you've created a better outcome. Exactly right. There's a form of um, dream work called um, image rehearsal therapy where when you work with the dream and you make some changes and you change the ending, uh, you then repeat it and you review the new ending, the better ending, the pleasanter ending where you end up safe and calm and happy over and over and over. And And you're doing exactly what you said, like a stream, carving out a new tributary. You're rewiring your brain and creating a new neural network that hopefully will eventually be stronger than the old one that you've been carving out for years and years. And with repetition and with practice, we can carve out those new neural networks. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's sort of like you're you're in in a way creating a new pathway for you to walk on. And the more it's like any pathway, the the more often you travel it, the deeper it's ingrained. And sooner or later, your other your other pathway that you were taking no you know weeds grow over it and and you can even you know visualize the fact that the old pathway now has weeds and trees growing in it and and your Mm -hmm. pathway is clean and clear because that's the only one you want to travel and i think the understanding that you can do that with yourself that you can Mm -hmm. literally reprogram yourself so that um these things don't don't bother you i mean if you if you learn to deal with a post-traumatic stress dream it doesn't mean that it goes away it means that it no longer has the power over you that's right and sometimes it does eventually also go away but in the process before it goes away you reduce its power you reduce its grip you reduce the hold Uh it has on you exactly right and sometimes it stops altogether or sometimes it just transforms into something different well and sometimes too can't you can't you transfer it into something that is a tool that you work with as opposed to i mean the 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 girl that had the monster following her and you had her turn around and face it 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 turned out to be somebody it 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 was it was a, a tool that that picked her up and carried her and wanted to even suckle her i mean it was mm-hmm. it was it was something that was sent to help her as opposed to terrify her. Right. That's exactly right. So this is when we, we sort of befriend our monsters and, and they then transform into allies rather than monsters. And we have the power to do that. I think that's, right. that's one of the the major parts of your book that, that I found fascinating is that, mm. you know, we do have the power to do this and, and we are not powerless we we have power more and mm-hmm. what you're what you're having people do is discover the tools that they have inside of them to use mm-hmm. to to make their life better richer and more abundant mm. that's the so, goal right that's the goal well, and, and and you know i i know i do believe that that traumas are part partially something that we signed up to experience in order to awaken an understanding inside of ourselves mm-hmm. and, and some of the some of the traumas can be they can suck but 
Yeah. But maybe maybe the power that it's meant to unlock is equally as powerful, and therefore you have to have the experience of the discomfort in order to understand the power that is there for you to take to take and to utilize and to make your life richer. Right, right, and and it's it's a tricky fine line between not wanting, not like blaming the victim kind of thing for what they're struggling with and recognizing that there's something that we in some way signed up for that we're supposed to do, learn and do in this life. So it's, 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 a, it's a very delicate dance there. Um, and it, it's reminding me of, of one a person who I've worked with, you know, the story that you're, the image that you're sharing, it's, um, this was someone who um, grew up as a, realized when he was very, very young that he was gay and grew up being bullied and had some abusive experiences and really, really sort of struggled with coming into himself and finding his own power and his own identity. And this person in their life went on to become a Reiki master and a yoga teacher and now teaches classes helping other people come into their bodies in a healthy way. And he's got gifts and skills that he probably wouldn't have had had he not had to go through the difficult traumatic times that he went through. So exactly what you're saying. I think that that people who have this have post traumatic stress should be aware that that first first of all it was something that was that was probably signed up for on the other side before they incarnated but those that kind of experience only happens to people who have an immense amount of power and ability to work with that power once they are able to unlock it so that so that while they may have horrible dreams and things like that, they also have great mm-hmm. power inside of themselves, more so than a lot of mm-hmm. people. And and mm-hmm. therefore, the experience only says, I'm really special, and it means I have mm-hmm. inside of me some very, very special powers that, that this is reminding me to look for. Mm-hmm. So sometimes we can say that sort of the, the nightmare healed is the gift revealed. Oh yeah, and looking at it from that perspective, nobody wants to have to go through these horrible things. But the but we if we did, we did. We can't undo uh-huh. the things that have happened in our lives, but we can turn them into sources for both healing ourselves and offering that to others in the world. And when we're empowered then we can offer, use that power to make a difference in the, in the lives of other people as well. Well, nobody in human form would sign up for pain. Uh, right. but, but in spirit form, it's I need to develop this particular aspect, so give me a situation in which I can develop it, and that mm-hmm. transforms into a traumatic experience. And, and you know, it when you get through to the other side of it, it was worth it. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. getting through it is, is a process that takes takes time. And yeah. it takes 
it takes work and it takes um I know it, it's sort of like inside we're a great big jigsaw puzzle, and, and those with post-traumatic stress, dreams especially, um, I think sometimes they think some of the pieces are missing, but they're not really missing. They just haven't been mm-hmm. identified yet. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. A lot of trauma survivors feel this sense of missing parts to themselves and experience soul loss. Like great trauma can shatter, can be a soul-shattering experience, and parts of us can go outside of our bodies into safekeeping somewhere else until such time that we're safe enough and ready to re-invite and reclaim those parts of us to come back inside again. Oh, and that's absolutely, one... especially, especially with children. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. you know, that's what shamans do with soul retrieval. And mm-hmm. um, I asked a shaman, a shaman once, I said, you know, soul doesn't split into pieces. So, you know, I, I, you say you, you do soul retrieval, uh, you know, where do those pieces go? And she said, well, they don't, your soul, your spirit doesn't really break into parts. You just forget where some of them are. And mm-hmm. soul retrieval helps you to remember where they are right right what you're describing and what the shaman because a lot of the work i also do could easily be called and we do sometimes call it soul retrieval the 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 technical word is dissociation right this is the Uh essence of what dissociation is where we separate um time and space and parts of us go somewhere else wherever that is and then we have to remember them and that word remember it's is um, uh, we reconnect we put the parts of ourselves back together again that's what remember means uh-huh. no it's 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 an amazing process and i think you know in the intro th- there are a lot of letters there that mean different types of technology not technology but but modalities that, that are utilized in um in in different approach to helping people find these aspects of themselves that they're looking for and i think mm-hmm. it's amazing that they should they should be named much easier by the way please um i have two master's degrees and my tongue twists a lot here and there mm-hmm. and and so you know it's it's, it's like oh come on <laughs> um you know but but the different techniques, especially the scientific ones, seem to have difficult. They have letter words like EFT, and I have no idea what that is. Mm-hmm. Well, a what lot of those letters um, are from the field of energy psychology. So EFT, for example, is emotional freedom technique, is what it stands for, and colloquially it's known as tapping. So it's a way of literally tapping on acupuncture points on the meridians on our body while putting our attention on our thoughts on something that is distressing us and locating it in our body. And as we tap on on the acupuncture points, the energy meridians, we're also healing at a body mind level. So EFT stands for emotional freedom technique. 
So you have a variety of techniques that you can use to help a person through this, this transformational process. Mm-hmm. What guides you to what aspects that you use with any individual? There's a lot of different things that guide me, and some of them have to do with paying close attention to what they're saying and and really trying to listen with my inner ears as well as my outer ears. Um, Uh And then there's a part of knowing when to follow and when to lead Um, and, and when to just, like when you're playing poker, right, just hold your hand, right? When to draw, when to show your cards and when to just keep them to your chest. So it's the timing as well that I'm paying attention to. Uh And I'm listening for the layers. I'm listening for the words and the language in the dream or in the conversation where I and the and people I'm working with can have associations and we can follow the threads of the associations then sometimes out of the dream completely in another direction, but the thread began in the dream. So I'm, I'm paying now, attention to that. Is, is post-traumatic stress, are post-traumatic stress dreams directly related to a situation or or is it, in, in other words, is um, if you don't know what you're, I mean, a Vietnam vet um, or any war, war vet who has post-traumatic stress, chances are it has to do with shooting and killing people. Mm-hmm. But is the dream that they have of killing people or is it of something else that, that is symbolic of killing people? Mm. That depends on the dreamer. Um, some... PTSD survivors and people who have nightmares have literal replays of the events that happened to them. A war vet is literally finding him or herself in combat every night. Um, One of the examples Uh in my book of a client of mine who was sexually assaulted as a young man in college, he had sort of put that behind him and then at a certain point in time he was re-triggered into remembering um, and he started to have the dream again uh, literally just replaying the event over and over and over again every night in his mind. So there's that kind of nightmare and then more often than not I think it's dreams that are, are upsetting and you wake up with fear or anxiety or grief or terror but it's comes to you in, in metaphor and in symbol, and it's not a literal replaying of what happened. Um, so it could be either or. It could be either or. And why one or why the other? Partially, I think that has to do with the, the personality and the style, makeup of the dreamer, him or herself. But it also has to do with what was the event or events that happened and how long did it last? Was it once? Was it for several months? Was it for years and years and years? Um, so I think there's a factor there, too, um, as to how chronic the traumatic experiences were. Were they acute or were they chronic? It would be a piece as well. 
I, I can see how it could be very upsetting, especially if the trauma happened as a child and then something triggers a memory, but the memory, you, they don't really get the memory of the event. They get a symbolic representation of it, and then they have to take the layers down to finally discover what it is that, that created this trauma. It, right. Right. That's exactly right. And so that's where um, I would recommend someone work with someone who's experienced in doing trauma treatment. But how do you know until you get into it? Um, you gauge your emotional response to the dreams and nightmares, and you gauge whether or not when you talk with your friends, your family, your minister, your parent or whoever it is you're talking about your dreams with your dream circle are you feeling better worse or the same after working on your dream and for Uh how long if you keep going and you keep talking about your dreams with your friends and you're just not getting any traction and you're just continuing to feel lousy i'd say you know what there's no extra brownie points for suffering Find someone to talk to about it who can help move the dial on this because what you've been uh-huh. doing up till now hasn't been working. If it's working, great. The, the, the woman yeah. with the taffy in her mouth, for example, we were, she's been in Dream Circle with us for years, and we, we work together. Um, I facilitate this particular Dream Circle, but everybody else in the group are, you know, lay people. They're not necessarily therapists. But in addition to the Dream Circle... She had a therapist outside that she talked with about, you know, various things. So she was doing both pieces of work at the same time, sort of off and on, she would be in therapy or not, depending on what was going on in her life. I would think a dream circle would be fascinating, especially especially if you could remember your dreams and, and were looking for guidance on on another level of, of uh, prob- for me it would be a more spiritual level, um, mm-hmm. And 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 you know to to have other people's input, you know this is what I got, this is what I dreamt, and these are the things I'm noticing, and then you know waiting to see if anybody else can ask the an appropriate question for how to look into something more differently or see it in a different way. I mean when you're working with PTSD, that's heavy duty stuff. But if it's a regular dream circle, I would think that there was greater um, latitude for other people to say, I would have thought this or I would have thought that. Mm-hmm. One of the truths about all of our dreams, and even you know, Carl Jung himself would say, we can't see the back of our own heads without two mirrors. Yeah. So other people's perspectives and questions can do two things. One, give us insight from a point of view that we would not have seen or considered prior to that. Uh And also, when you're working with other people, we can resonate with each other's dreams. So I can get healing or information or wisdom from your dream if we're sitting in the room together, even if it wasn't the dream that I dreamt. So we can share um, that energy together in the dream circle. Well, I think also when you're in a dream circle, 
you are tapping into another level of your own consciousness because mm-hmm. you're going you're going into the level of that dream that the dreamer had so so you you take yourself you uh it, it's like um remote viewing sort of in yeah. in a dream state yeah. yeah so one of the things i might say when somebody could bring the dream to the dream circle. So I ask people to um, attend to the, what the dreamer is saying and enter into the dreamscape with the dreamer. So I invite people in the circle to enter into that energy field of the dream with the person whose turn it is to share the dream so that we literally are sharing sort of a consciousness and an energy together around the dream, and we are entering a different sphere when we do that. Right, so you're asking them to write the voice. To write the voice, did you say? Ride, R-I-D, to ride the voice. Yes, 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 that would be, yes. I bet that's a lot of fun. You know, I've not done a dream, you know, I, I think it gives you greater insight into yourself and into understanding your higher consciousness. And I, I would think the more frequently that you, you participated in activity like this, the, the wider the channel you open to the intuitive side of you and to the ability to bring wisdom and guidance from your own spirit so that, so that it's in many ways a, a healing process as well as a learning process as well as opening yourself up to the potential of what the universe has to share with you. Absolutely. Because we know that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. So when we're in a group and we bring our energies together, we are creating a, a space where we can fly higher than we might have been able to fly on our own. Oh, absolutely. That's why spirit circles and stuff like that are so cool. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you get people, you get people's energies, you know, focused on on the same thing, and and it seems to me that that there's there's also um, a great deal of wisdom to be learned from other people's processes as well. And you know, this yeah. is it's a very intimate, um, you know, experience. I would assume. Yeah. Yes, we we get an incredible closeness and intimacy because when you're sharing dreams with other people, you're sort of opening up your unconscious self, and that does uh-huh. create a great deal of of intimacy. How do you know when it's something from spirit as opposed to the ego? Does the ego get in here with the dream state? It's a great question. And as I'm sort of seeing that we're just about, getting near to the end of our time because over here it's almost 11 o'clock at night. <laughs> now that we've, just, you know, discerned the, the different time zones that we're in. Um, yeah. There's a quality of the numinous in a dream where we're connected with spirit that isn't, there's a layer of every dream that is connected with spirit, I believe, and that is a numinous quality. And when we tap into that, there's a felt sense that's different than when our thinking conscious minds are running the show. Uh Um, Just one example 
is the difference between having a dream about a departed relative or having a visit from a departed relative. Uh-huh. Um, so that's one area of, of tapping into sort of spirit. And if it's a dream, there could be any number of layers of interpretation and metaphor and symbol. And this person kind of looks like my mom. She reminds me of my mom. Maybe it's my mom in the dream. As opposed to this person's shown up for me. They're right here. I can hear their voice and feel their presence. And I, can, I, I know they're in the room with me right now. And there's a, a vividness to that and almost a, a, a tingle and a luminosity that is a, a qualitative difference than when we're not engaged at that moment with the spiritual layer. Uh-huh. That's a good answer. Um, Thank you. You know, I, I, I have an ego that's really very active, and every now and then it tries to pretend it's spirit, and, you know, it trips up. So, you know, you you sit back and you say, oh, that was a nice try. <laughs> I have found that when, when the ego is involved, it tries to tell you what to do and how to do it. When spirit's involved, it gives you, it gives you um, wisdom to apply to your life to make your own choices. Mm, that's a nice differentiation. Right. Yeah. It, right. It, it, and welcome, it's welcome to of, the human race, right? We, we all get tripped up sometimes <laughs> by our egos, and then we have to say, wait, let me get out of my own way here and, like, open to spirit. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's, it's, you know, every now and then, you know, I get, I get fooled, too, and, and, you know, it's like, oh, damn. But I do mm. notice you're right. We are, we are close to the end. How do people get a hold of you if they want to? learn more about you? Are there websites or things that they can tap into? Thank you. Yeah. So if you want to read about the, I've, the two books that I've written, the most recent one is PTS Dreams. So there's a website that's www.ptsdreams.com. And then my other book called Modern Dream Work, which looks at all different types of dreams. That one is www.moderndreamworks.com. And if you want to look at my website in terms of me, what I do, you know, in my in my professional life, um, that is Linda Yael Schiller. That's L I N D A Y A E L S C H I L L E R dot com, and that just will give you an overview of how I work and what I do and all sorts of things about me. <laughs> Well, it's 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 a great book. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And Thank you know, you. like I said, I I have diagnosed many people with PTSD. They probably don't have it, but you know, it's it's kind of like you know, I I tagged behaviors and I thought, "Ah." Oh. And one person I know is just flat out crazy. So, you know, he probably has everything anyhow, but um but it's it's it gives you a greater awareness of how to deal with a lot of things in your own life and and again a journal a dream journal is always a a, a fantastic gift and guide you can give to yourself if if you want to take the time to put the effort in it's definitely worth it so I do thank you so much this has been such a cool two hours and oh, um, thank you you know every everybody go out and diagnose yourself. 
and and start remembering your dreams. And one of the other things too, if you go to bed and say to yourself, "I want to remember my dreams," you probably will. It's, it's just some. It's something that we don't actually do that often, but when we do do it, there, there, you know, you're you're putting a request in, and the universe gives it to you. So even if it's only, even if it's only the color blue. That's just, right. Just, and then honor that you dreamt the color blue. And if you want more information the next night, remember to thank the universe and say, thank you for giving me that little dream. Now please give me more detail tonight. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, it's the other side. You don't have to pray to it. Just talk to it. Um, yeah. I think that's, that's something so many people, you know, get a little crazy with. But but our time is up, and I do thank you mm. so very much. This has been such a pleasure. And I will be talking you. to you soon, for sure. All right. Thank you so much. Okay. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Mark's got a great show tomorrow, and I'll be back on Monday. So please check us out. Check out the website, com. You'll find a calendar there that will give you an outline of everything that's going on, hopefully. <laughs> Take care, everyone, and have a good evening.